Thank you for listening to the weekly podcast of Community Bible Church in Savannah, Georgia. We hope you'll enjoy this sermon from our series, Progress and Joy, a study on Philippians. For more information about CBC or how you can get plugged in, visit our website, cbcsavannah.com. I thank my God and all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it's my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Let me pray. Father, as we approach this text, this this introduction, this greeting, this thankfulness of Paul, I pray that the words that are written here will be true of us. And that is a work of your Holy Spirit. It's certainly not a work that I can accomplish, Lord. And so I ask that right now you would help me that you would speak through me to your church, Lord Jesus, for your name's sake, that you would build your people, that you would build their joy, that you would grow them in the faith, that you would open their eyes to truth. And and even in the midst of, like Ethan said, just even a dark place like David was when he had written that psalm, that we would see you as our defender, our redeemer, our savior, our rock. Who is a rock like you? There is none. And so we come to you this morning your people, uh, humble, just wanting you to just speak fresh grace into our life. Please do that now. For the name of Christ, I pray. Amen. Thanks. You guys can have a seat. All right. We began last Sunday a new series in the book of Philippians. And I gave you homework. And I'm going to check your homework. All right. If you weren't here last week, you get off. Right. But there's a, uh, a little card out front. It's got... The text that we're going to be dealing with every week, it's got a memory verse for almost every week. So who did your homework? Who read it? Like three of y'all? Where's she get Fs? All right, let's see. Who want, all right, Mary, you you know your verse, Miss Mary? No, you don't know. Okay. I won't put pressure on you. Who knows, who wants to, who's bold? Verse, who did their memory verse? Who wants to say, I'm serious, y'all. I'm not kidding. This is CBC 101. Anybody? I see a hand. Nobody? You're pointing. Oh, come on. All right, Miss Con... You got it. You got it. That's right. The extra spiritual. Very good. All right. So next week, get your bookmark, read ahead. I will be calling. He's not allowed to save y'all next week. All right. So somebody... Uh, Read ahead. And there's a purpose for this, y'all. We want to be able to think our way through this book. And that is one of the precious promises of the New Testament to believers. All right. So here was where we're at. Let me kind of give a brief recap and then we'll jump into our text for today in verses 3 through 11. It's about 62 A.D.-ish. 
The Apostle Paul is in Rome, imprisoned, awaiting trial. He is currently chained 24 hours a day to a guard. Right? He's under house arrest, but he has to have a guard chained to him at all times. Can you imagine what it was like to be chained to the Apostle Paul? All right? But he is there waiting trial. And he writes several letters to several churches, one letter to a church he loves that has a special place in his heart, the church in Philippi, this church. And, and this is a church that he, 10 years earlier, he, for the first time, him and his ragtag team, Silas, Timothy, Luke, show up in Philippi, and they immediately see three people come to faith. They see businesswoman, you know, power suit Lydia, boom. They see ex-slave girl, demon-possessed girl, she comes to faith. They see a Philippian jailer who's probably an ex-GI, did 25 years in the Roman uh, military, and now this is kind of his retirement. Three different people all come to faith. The church is born. And, and 10 years later, they had grown. They now have established leadership there. They, they've grown probably out of Lydia's house is where the church originally met. And they, they hear Paul is in prison. They care for him. They send him some money, some supplies through a man named Epaphroditus who goes to Rome and delivers them. And they're like, they're just concerned for you, Paul. We love you. And he's thankful. And he writes this letter back to them, in essence, to thank them for their graciousness and their gift, but also to say, y'all, you're concerned about me. I am concerned about you, about your progress and about your joy in the faith. And this is a letter that its aim is, is their progress and their joy. And so that's, and we just kind of cracked the book open last week. We looked at the introduction. We saw a couple things where he's going to be going just in his intro about our identity in Christ as servants in Christ and secure in Christ, about our connection to the body of Christ, and then about grace and how it's vital in us understanding that, and, and that's huge in our joy. We're going to continue today in really verse 3 through 11, and he's still in the introduction, Okay, he's really still introducing the ideas that he's going to be unpacking for the body of the letter. And what we're going to see today is he's just going to list a bunch of things that he is thankful for. He's going to say, this is why I love y'all. This, this, this. He's going to get real specific. He said, this is what brings me joy. This is why I'm thankful for you Philippians. And, and what we're going to do is just look at those things. Can you imagine if the Apostle Paul wrote us a letter? What would he say? Dear CBC, add more parking. <laughs> and here's what I'm thankful for. Would he say these things? Th these things that he are going to mention, this is a joyful church. This is a progressing, growing church. And so what we want to do is kind of look what he says he's thankful for and lay them on top of us and see if this was where we are. All right? Because that's what we want to be. And he's going to highlight really three things in these in these nine verses that we're going to look at and that we're going to jump into, okay? So let me identify them, and then there's a challenge at the end for us, because the same things he's dreaming for them as a church, big things, we're dreaming for us, big things, all right? So let's look, verse four, or excuse me, verse three, slide, I don't know what this one's, you got it? Nope, there it is, all right, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. So Paul is chained to this Roman guard, so much so that he probably cannot physically write the letter himself. Most commentators think Timothy is the one who is actually writing the letter. He is dictating it, 
right? Because it's kind of hard to write when you got a Roman guy tied to you. So he says, Timothy, take out, take out some parchment. Write this down. We're going to write to the church of Philippi. Paul and, Paul and Timothy to the church of Philippi. Saints, you know, the whole intro last week, grace and peace, overseers and deacons. And it's, I can almost picture in my sanctified imagination the apostle Paul just stopping. Timothy's like, Paul. Paul's just over there in the corner smiling. What's he doing? He's remembering. He's thinking about these people. He's thinking about all these guys crammed in Lydia's house and how they're just sleeping all over the floor and they're just brand new in his excitement. He's thinking about that slave girl. It's 10 years later now. Is she married? Does she have kids? Are her kids filling the nursery up? What's that look like? He's thinking about that ex-GI who was kind of rough and tough and kind of salty. Has he, has he stopped swearing at church yet? Has he, has he kind of grown in that a little bit? What, what's going on back there? He remembers this motley crew and it just brings, he says, and I think about y'all, when I pray about y'all, I just, I get joyful. I, it just gets me excited when I think about you. And here's why. Look at verse five. Keyword, because. Because, you guys are going to have to do slides up here. This thing's broken, okay? Um, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Here's why I'm joyful. Here's why I'm thankful. Because you are partners with me. It is the Greek word koinonia. Just same word we translate fellowship. It's, one of its cognates is, is a partnership in a business. The idea of, of, of James and John and Peter are being partners in a fishing company. He says, you guys are partners with me. We're, we, we're together in this. We have the same goal. And you have been from the very beginning. And I'm passionate. I'm crazy about y'all because we all have the same mission. Right? And remember, who is he commending? He's not commending the pastor. He's not commending the leaders of the church. He's talking to everybody. He said, y'all, everybody, all of y'all have been partakers, have been partners with me. We've had the same goal. Because here's the problem we see in the American church. I don't know when it crept in, last 20, 30 years, but church has now become shopping, right? This, this is, be we've become customers. How do you like your church? Well done. Medium, a little too short, a little too, too warm in here, too cold. Is it crowded, too crowded? Can I get a little medium well, not too loud? I don't want anyone sitting next to me. And can I get a side of Awanas, please? You got Awanas over there. That's church, right? And it's shopping. We even use language. Well, I'm just church shopping. And I don't know if I like that. Can you sell me on that, Bill? Can you sell me on what you're doing, right? That's what it's become. Where, where customers are out there, the leadership team's job is to sell you a great experience. And can I tell you how foreign that is from this text? I mean, how unlike what's going on in the early church, it was not, come, we'll make you feel good and hope you like us. What it was was a group of people who had been forgiven of their sins because of their faith in Christ who are just living their lives on mission now. We're living our lives in light of what God has done for us. And we gather on Sunday because it's hard out there. They lived in very difficult context. There was no Bible belt. There was no post-Christian culture. It was this, this place where they go out and they get ostracized. They get hated. They get their teeth kicked in by everyone out there. And they kind of drag themselves in on Sunday. Well, I can tell what kind of week you've had. Yeah, and you too. But you know what? Let's get together. Let's love on each other. Let's get fired up and let's go back out and live our lives. That's the early church, right? Th that's what they were doing. And there was an immediate bond. 
You didn't find the early church saying, how can we cultivate community in Philippi? Maybe if we go get coffee in the morning at, you know, the coffee shop in the corner of Main Street, we'll be able to, maybe we'll like each other. And if we like each other, maybe we'll get in a community group together. And if we get in a community group, maybe we'll do community. It just happened because they were working together. They were doing life together and everyone out there was against them. So this is all they got, right? This is all they had was gathering together. And I love that Paul says, you were from the first day until now, you, you were partakers, you were partners, right? And here's, here's what we're after. Here's what we're, we need to be reminded of is if we're gonna be a progressing church, a joyful church, the kind of church that Paul says, this is what I'm thankful for, then we have to have a group of people who are co-laborers and not customers, right? They're, they're, part, they're partners that you don't see yourself as a customer, because a customer is about who? Me, what I want. Have it my way. You're not singing the song, you are the only king forever. All right, that wasn't about you. It was about him. Right? That's, that's the difference between a customer and a co-laborer. Customers, it's about me. Co-laborer. And I'm not saying we don't have preferences. We all have preferences. Some of you like the organ. Some of you like that. I like that. But that's okay. It's not about me. Right? But I love from the beginning, he says, from the get-go, when it was just a few of you, you have all been about this. It's, here's what's the challenge for us as a church. As the church has grown like it was for them, it becomes easier and easier to turn into a customer. Not in the early days. The early days of CBC, when we're back in the Johnny Harris banquet hall, everybody had a task. You came through the door, you had kids, your kids were on chicken nugget duty. Pick up chicken nuggets that were spilt last night. You, you were an uh, able-bodied man. You were taking stuff out of the trailer. If you were a lady, you probably got asked day, week one, you're visiting. Could you serve in a nursery this week? We need someone in the nursery. If you said, I played the kazoo in high school, you were on the praise team. <laughs> it didn't matter what you could do. Everybody was like, we need you to do something. Go hide the butcher knives and the liquor in the cabinet over there so the kids don't see it. Right? Everybody had a task. But as we grow a little bit, it's easier to sneak in. It's easier to sneak out. It's easier to be a consumer, right? But that's not the intent of the church. The intent is that you are on, as forgiven by God, are, are living your life for him as a co-laborer. And you have to remember that this is, this is not the church. This, what we're not doing church right here. This is where the church gathers on Sunday morning to worship, to be fed from the scripture, to encourage one another, to challenge one another. And then the church goes out. That's what the church does. This is, all, all this is, is a pit stop. We're at the pit stop. I'm not a NASCAR guy, all right? I did see Days of Thunder, though, with Tom Cruise, okay? So I know a little bit about it. And I know what happens in the pits, you know, Tom Cruise is driving the mellow yellow Chevy. It's all beat up. He's got a flat tire. He's running low on gas. He's, out, he's all, oh, it's hot. He, what does he do? He pulls into the pit stop. The guys open the window. They splash, use some water. Change the tire. Pull the fender out. Yeah, they, they kind of encourage him. You can do this. Get back out there. That's the Sunday morning gathering. A little grace in your face. Splash some coffee on you. Um, you know, less of, and, and go back out there. This is not the end all. That it wasn't the end all for them. Paul didn't say, I'm so thankful y'all meet on Sunday mornings and sing songs. Man, that's awesome. It's not what he says. 
says, I'm thankful that you're just out there living your life. And I know that seems intimidating for some of you. Let me, let me give you just a couple examples of what happened in the last couple of weeks in this church that we're looking for. Two examples, all right, that I heard about just this week. Here's example number one. Met with a guy, wanted to have coffee, sat down with him. He starts sharing me his story. You know, grew up, Christian home, not a Christian, kind of did my own thing. But there was this guy at my office, and he was one of the only guys there that's joyful. Everyone else is grumpy, frumpy, right? He's a joyful dude. He invites me to church. He asks me to listen to a sermon. He gives me a sermon. Now, y'all, he gave him my sermon on homosexuality. Not the sermon I would have handed out. <laughs> I would have done Easter. I would have done something, you know, Christmassy. I don't know, but it wouldn't have been that one. But anyway, this is, this is the providence of God. So he listens to that sermon. Something sparked inside him. He continues to listen online, keeps listening. He's listening to sermon after sermon. He's going back to three, four years ago, listening to sermons. And what happens is just a few weeks ago, this guy becomes a Christian. He puts his faith in Christ. He turns from his sin and he turns to Christ. Why? Because someone at his job wasn't grumpy and just gave him a sermon that I would not recommend giving. <laughs> and just a God opens a door. And he steps through the door. Let me give you another example. One of my buddies, a pastor in town, I got a bunch of buddies that are pastors. He, he tweets me this week, has said, having an outpatient surgery, went in, one of the nurses, right before I went in, she just reads me a verse. She goes to your church. Don't know who she is. I don't know who she is. Or him, maybe him. I just, nurse reads a Bible verse before a guy goes into surgery. He is greatly encouraged and he tweets me about it. See, that, that's what a co-laborer is. Notice nobody got on a boat. No one went to the jungle, held up a sign downtown that says the rapture is at hand. No one had to do any of that. All they did was wherever God has put him in his providence, they are there living their life joyfully for Christ. And when God opens a the door, they, open, they go right through it. That is what a co-laborer does. That's what we're talking about. That's how the early church grew. They didn't have signs in Philippi, come worship with us. They didn't have a website. It was just people living their lives to the Lord Jesus and God brought the harvest. That is a co-laborer. That's what we're looking for. Maybe you do get on a boat and go to a jungle. Great. Most of us are not going to. He's just going to call us to go to SCAD and work at a Gulfstream and work on Hunter Army Airfield and work on your, your neighborhood and work at Country Day. That, that's where he's calling you. And that's where he's asked you to live. That's a co-laborer. All right? So that's the first thing, that you are a co-laborer, you're not a customer. Here, let's look at the next verse. Verse 6. Here's your memory verse. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Great promise. Great verse. He says, I am sure, and it's a tense of the verb, which means I am sure right now and that I am sure in the future. I am confident, Philippians, in your future. Right? I, I have absolute confidence. Why? Because what God began in you, he will finish it. Why? Because anything God starts, he finishes. Anything he begins, he sustains. And notice the language. Who began? Did the Apostle Paul begin? Nope. Go back to Acts chapter 16. How does this whole thing unfold? There they are down at the river in their van, doing a Beth Moore Bible study. 
And what does it say? That God opened the heart of Lydia to believe. God began a good work quietly and gently. And then just a few Days later, it wasn't so quietly, it was a little bit more dramatic, but God delivers the slave girl from her demon. And then that night, God rescues the jailer after a great earthquake. So whether it was quietly like in Lydia or dramatically like in the jailer, God is the one who began it. And Paul is so confident in the power of God. He says, I am confident in your future because anything God starts, he finishes. Anything God begins, he sustains. And here's, here's one of the keys to a joyful church is that we are confident in our future. There's a confidence in your future that God's purpose for your life cannot and will not be thwarted, no matter what. It doesn't matter if the powers of hell all rise up at once, that God's plan and his purpose for your life will never, can never be thwarted, ever. Because what God has begun, he will complete. And this is where, where, where this is, the reason why we have you memorizing this verse. It's not when everything's great, great, great. Because it's easy to believe that when everything's great, great, great. The reason we are memorizing this is because sometimes God's providence in our lives is bitter. It just is. We've been trying to get pregnant. For eight years, everyone else is having babies. We can't. I've done it all right. Done, read, I kissed dating goodbye and I didn't kiss anybody and I kissed dating goodbye and now I'm ex and I'm not married and everyone else is married and I'm lonely. I'm, I, I, I've been working my tail off and no one, no one sees me and everyone else gets promoted and gets raises and I don't. The, the biopsy came back positive and, I, and I'm 35. Lost my job. Didn't get into the college I want. Got dumped after four years. Whatever it is, when those things happen, and they will as long as you live in a broken world, where do you go except for the fact that if God starts something, he will complete it. And that his perfect will for your life, even if it's hard, will not be thwarted. It just won't. Even when it seems slow. Who, who likes slow? Who hates slow? Slow drivers, slow service, slow God not moving. Paul knows something about slow. He's sitting in jail, chained indefinitely to a guy, waiting for a trial that may or may not end his life, may or may not even happen because his accusers may not. He's just sitting there thinking, well, I guess I should write some scripture. Got no, I'm waiting. I remember... Two marches ago, I'm looking out that my window, my office, and I'm looking down, and trees came down. And I was excited. Trees came down. We're moving. We're going to build. And then some time went by, and I'm like, come on, I'll get a shovel. Let's go. And then there were some footers poured. And I was like, yes, we're going to get a building. And then there were... There was this, and it was a slow time, and I was building, and I'm like, there was times I was looking out, and I was like, I'll get my hammer. Just tell me I want to do something. But if you wouldn't want me with a hammer in this building, you wouldn't want to sit in that chair if I put it together. I, it was just a time of waiting. And look, it, it got finished. It was slow sometimes. 
That's the way God is. As Piper has said so well, and it's been so retweeted, but it's so good, that God is always doing 10,000 things in your life, and you might be aware of three of them. He's not slow about his promise. He's patient. Right? And so the confidence of the people of God, that God's plan, God is plotting and planning for your joy. He is actually orchestrating your joy. And sometimes that means adverse things because it gets your focus off of that, which will ultimately not bring joy, and onto him, which will, which is hard at first, but it gets you to where true joy is because it gets your focus on true joy. And, and again, that is a hard thing when you're sitting chained to a guy. So let me give you an activity this week. This is for all of us, whether life is great, whether life is not. And, and it's called the napkin test. Here we go. So I want you to find yourself a napkin this week. All right? Go to a restaurant and you need to bring your napkin next week. All right? It's going to be like the terrible towels of the Steelers. I want to see them because I want to see you did your homework. Right? You're like, this church has too much homework. You're right. We do. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to take a napkin, and I want you to just think about things that you can be thankful for, and then I want you to write them down. I want you to think of people. I want you to think of experiences. And some of you think, I can't think. It's going to take me a while. Okay, then. Take some time. Because here's what happens when you start thinking about if you start really thinking about, look, look what God has done. You start looking back. Maybe you look back six months. Maybe you look back 20 years. I don't know. But you're going to start seeing, even though it seems like God is slow and you want to pick up a hammer and do something, you're going to say, wait, wait, the trees came down. I remember that now. Oh, and the footers got poured. Oh, and the bricks are going up. Now, maybe it's not at my pace, but you're going to look back at the faithfulness of the things God has done. Maybe it's your parents who did this. Maybe it's someone who built into you. Maybe it's I don't know, maybe it's a child that you had, whatever it is, and you can be thankful and it takes your focus off of how bad this is over here and puts it on the faithfulness of God. And when you put your focus on the faithfulness of God, your feelings will always follow. You say, I don't feel like doing it. That's because your focus is on you. You get your focus off you, put your confidence in him and your feelings will follow. They just will. So do it and bring your napkin. We're, we're going to have a napkin crew at the back door. You can't come to church next week without your napkin. Because joyful people are thankful people. All right? So bring your napkin. All right. Unless it's from like some bar. Don't bring your bar napkin, okay? Just kidding. All right. Not really. Okay. Let's go next. <laughs> so he is thankful that they are co-laborers. And he is thankful that he has confidence in their future because what if Jesus has accomplished. And one more thing, look at verses seven. Listen to the language here. And I want you to circle a couple words. It is right for me to feel, circle that word, this way about you all. Because I hold you in my heart, circle that word. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in defense and the confirmation of the gospel. We'll talk about that next week. For God is my witness how I yearn, circle that word, for you all with affection, circle that word, of Christ Jesus. You, it, we, you think about Paul and everyone thinks Paul's this mean, harsh, yeah, come on, King James yelling at people guy, right? 
That's, what, that's the image that people have. Does that sound like a mean dude right there? I yearn for you. I long for you. I, I feel this way about you. You're in my heart. This is a compassionate dude. And here's the miracle about this. This is only something that God can do. Because this is a guy that 15, 20 years earlier, there is no way that he would be writing to a Roman citizen who was a Roman soldier who was his nation's conqueror, someone who had probably tortured many of his people and say, I love you. There's no way he wouldn't even be in the room with that guy. He was a Gentile scum. And there is no way that Lydia, businesswoman, power suit girl, is going to let ex-slave, demon-possessed girl in her house. No way. And there is no way ex-slave, demon-possessed girl is going to warm up and give a big old hug to the big burly ex-GI who probably threw some of her friends and tortured them in jail. They're not going to be buddies. But what happens in the church is that God takes people who are completely different, who not only would never hang out with each other, but would probably despise each other, and he makes them brothers and sisters so that there's an affection. And so Paul at the end, I love it. He says, I love you, I yearn for you with the affection of Jesus Christ. Which in itself, we could talk about the fact that, that God has a joyful affection for you that you cannot fathom. We could go there, but what I want you to see is, here's what God does in the church. He takes people who are his enemies, he lavishes them with his love, and then he actually gives them his very love for you so that you can live out that love for one another. That is what God does. And that's what Paul says, I have God's affection for you in my heart. That, that's the kind of church I want to be a part of. That's, that's the kind of church he says they are. And so here's the third thing, that we as a church need to be a cultivating an affection for one another. Just like Paul has an affection, right? Go to the slide. There's an affection, an affinity. And you say, well, how do we cultivate that? Because if we don't cultivate it, guess what? It's going to diminish. If you're not actively cultivating a love, then you will be losing a love. And so how do we cultivate as a church an affection for one another? I think there's two practical things right out of the text. The two things that Paul's already mentioned. Number one, he's used it twice now. He said they were partakers in the gospel. And then in verse 9 through 11, he says, you're partakers with grace. You know how you build an affection for people? You, you do something with them. You get on a common mission and a common goal. You're a partaker of something. You're partners. There's something about working together that, that gives you a bond. Whether it's the offensive line of a football team, whether you're on a project. I've had many jobs in my life. Worked at Kids R Us, worked as a bagel shop, I was a custodian, I was a landscaper, I delivered drugs, not illegal ones. Um, I worked at, uh, you know, I was a school teacher. I set mobile homes. I mean, I did all, I worked at a steel mill, all sorts of things. And when you work with people, there's, there's a natural just bond sometimes. I was 14 years old, my first job, I'm working at Kids R Us, right? Me and all my buddies from the baseball team, I had to dress up as tender heart care bear. And my buddy Nick had to dress up as, as the Kool-Aid man. And my buddy Keith had to dress up as Jeffrey Giraffe. And we would go into the back room and we'd put those costumes on. It was so hot. And we'd sweat and we'd go out. And then we'd come back after 20 minutes and we would just come around and have a little 
Kids Are Us community group and talk about how we sweat to death and how we scared this kid and how awesome that was. And, and it was great. It was something bonding about that. That's what happens when you work together. You want to you wanna build an affection for people? Go serve them. Go offer a young couple babysitting services so they can go on a date. You'll start loving their kids and you'll start loving them. Go hang out with them. Go to their, go to their kids' baseball games. Root for them. Don't get thrown out of the games. But go, just go be with them. Go serve them. Go do stuff with them and there'll be a, an affection. Right? Because you're on, the, you're on the same team. That's what he says. You guys, are, you, we have the same goal. You know who doesn't have an affection? is customers. Customers don't have an affection. Customers have an affection for themselves. Can I have more ketchup? I don't like this. This is too cold. Send this back. Co-laborers have an affection. And sometimes when there's conflict in your relationships, maybe it's your marriage, and conflict is normal because you have two sinful people in the house, but if you feel like the other person is an enemy, here's what's probably happening. One or both of you are not co-laboring for Christ. It might be one of you, it might be both of you, but I can tell you, if you are both aiming to please the Lord Jesus with your life and love him with all your heart, there is no way you are not gonna love each other, even if it's hard sometimes. There's no way because your goal is something bigger. If there's other Christians that you just cannot get along with, then there's no way that one or both of you is not acting like a customer. Because if you're really loving Christ, you're going to forgive them from whatever they've done and you're going to love them like he loves with the affection of Christ. Like the church, and churches are so, we've seen some fruit in this in the last couple of years because of some things we've been doing. I'm telling you, churches typically are so competitive with each other and so territorial. This is why, you know, the one voice thing that's going on next week and William will tell you about it in a little bit or even the pivot conference that Savannah Christian puts on for men every year that, that we go to that and that I teach at that every year because we want to be co-laboring with other churches who love Christ. Are they the same in all the ways? No, they're not. Can we have an affection for them because they love Christ? Yes, we can and we will. Let's co-labor because we're all followers of Christ Jesus, right? So that's one way. We, we just serve each other, love each other, hang with each other. Here's the second way right from the text is that you pray for other people, right? How many times in this text? He says, I pray all the time, making my prayer with joy, 9 through 11. Here's what I pray. Paul has an affection for them because he prays for them. And, and if so if there's someone in your life that there's, it's a hard relationship, here's what you want to do. Start praying for them every day. And I'm not talking about praying that lightning would strike them. Or they, something bad. You pray that God would bless the socks off that person. That, you, that they would have fresh grace from their father every day. That you thank them that God is, they're a saint if they're a Christian. You pray that for them. That God will bless them with just the greatest day that they could possibly have. And when you start praying that for people, I'm telling you, the affection will follow. Why? Because your feelings follow your focus. You don't like the president, you don't like the government, start praying for them every day. Hard to be hateful and unkind to your boss when you're praying for your boss, isn't it? You want to build affection for people? Start praying. For them, right? And I know it's hard sometimes to do that. I get it. You gotta fight for joy sometimes. 
But don't give up because he who began a good work in you, you will complete it. Right? So there's an affection. Joyful church, progressing church, co-laboring, confidence. They're cultivating true affection. And let me say this. If I was Paul writing to y'all, those are things I'd write to you. You guys bring us great joy as elders, as a staff. You just do. I mean, we got folks, you guys are serving your guts out sometimes. I mean, we got at any given Sunday, 110, 120 people serving in the kids ministry alone. That's a lot of folks. You guys are generous. I mean, you're thoughtful. We got people meeting needs. We don't even, I mean, y'all rock. It's, it's a privilege to be, there's, it's not a lot of churches people are excited to come to. Y'all bring great joy. But here's the challenge. Here's what Paul goes next. He says, you guys bring me great joy. But here's my prayer, verse nine. It's my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and discernment. Don't be settled is what he's saying. Don't be satisfied. Y'all bring me great joy, but don't just get stagnant now. Don't think, well, Paul likes us. We're good. Let's just kind of, no, the day of Christ has not happened yet. So progress. I want want more love. You're, You're loving, but I want more love. More and more. But he says with knowledge and discernment. It's not just crazy, oh, you know, wild love, obnoxious love. It's love with knowledge. It's not just uncontrolled whatever, right? It's not, you know, newlywed husband who for his wedding gift says, here, honey, I got you a membership to the gym and a diet book and an iron. Here, happy, happy wedding. That is, that is love without discernment. Okay, that's dumb. Someone should counsel that man. It's, it's a deep, the word epigonosco, is, it's a deep knowledge based on intimacy, not facts. He said, I want you guys, you're 10 years in now. Okay, you've been around the block a few times. I want you to so know Christ and so love each other that you will approve, and the word approve is the word test. It's a word that was used when they would drop acid on a coin to test how, how much gold or how much purity was in it. That's the word. So I want you to have so much love and knowledge of who Jesus is that you are testing everything, that you can approve what is excellent. And because you've approved it and you know what is good and you know what is bad, you're gonna be pure and you're gonna be blameless when Jesus does come back and you're not gonna be ashamed. See, that's what I'm praying. And, and so the, the, the challenge for us is God has done some great things. Keep progressing. Don't stop. Don't be settled. Don't, don't just like, oh, we're good, man. I, I did this. Keep progressing. Blameless, holy, set apart. And I know when you hear those words, you're like me. You're like, holy? Sinful. No, not Holy. Impatient, angry, not blameless, right? That, and if you're thinking that, that's me this morning, that's me too. And you know why we feel that way? Because the day of Christ has not yet happened. Because he hasn't completed it yet, but he will one day. Doesn't mean we don't progress. Doesn't mean we don't grow. We don't pursue that. But we will be imperfect until the day of Christ. But here's the encouragement, the last verse. Verse 11, he says, you are filled 
with the fruit of righteousness. The word filled, it's in a tense that says you are filled right now and you will forevermore be filled with the fruit of righteousness. But wait, I, I was mad this week. I was angry this week. I was lustful this week. I was greedy this week. I was this. You, if you are in Christ, have been filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. The moment you put your faith in Christ, you were justified. You were, you were transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. The spirit of Christ dwelled in you. The spirit of Christ sealed you. That you were filled with the very righteousness of God so that when God the Father sees you, he sees legally the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That you are complete, that you are loved, that you are accepted. And now the Christian life is not about trying to attain those things. The Christian life is about living in light of those things. That's where he's going. That's why there's joy. But I messed up. I have confidence he's going to complete it. To the glory and praise of God. It's about God, not being a customer. Right? And so that's what we're praying. Are we a perfect church? Not even close. Is this a perfect stage right now? Not even close. But we are progressing and we are striving, knowing that he who began will complete. So don't quit. Don't be satisfied. Co-laborers, confident that he will complete what he began, cultivating effect. I got a bunch of C's, man. I could have been a Baptist preacher today. I got C, alliteration, right? But we're continuing forward. There's another C. What do we want? That's what we want. That'll bring us joy. That'll bring us growth. Right? That'll be the kind of church where he says later that let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. And we're, so we're going to move to worship. And here's what I want you to do. I just want you to focus on the truth. As we worship Christ, that he began this work in you and that he will finish it. Wherever you are at right now, you've been saved one week, you've been saved 50 years, that you would acknowledge, number one, that, that it began with him and it will be finished by him and that you can find great joy in that. He is your redeemer. He is your rock. Who is, the, who is our rock but God? He is your defender. And that you would be looking for and longing the day of Christ. You notice two times in this text he brought up the day of Christ. The day where Jesus will return for his church. The early church could not wait for Jesus to come. They just couldn't wait. They were looking for it constantly. Peter says looking for and hastening the day of Christ. I mean, they're always looking for it. I don't know if the modern church looks for Jesus much. But the response, any time in the early church when they said, Jesus is coming, they would say, even so come. The end of the scripture, I am coming quickly. And the church responds, even so come. And so we're going to sing that. So, so sing in a way and worship in a way where you're expecting and, and confident in the work and the finished work of Christ. And we'll celebrate. Why don't you guys stand and we'll pray. Father, you have by your son opened our eyes to the truth. I pray that we would be a, a progressing and joyful church. One that we don't see ourselves as, as customers. We don't see ourselves as deserving. We see ourselves as laborers for your name's sake. Wherever you put us, I pray that you would give confidence to those who have doubts, and I pray that you would move uh, in affection for one another, uh, that your spirit would give us the very affection of Christ for each other. It's in his name I pray. Amen.